The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. I'm the galactically feared, globally reviled, universally despised. They call me Ivan Ooze. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm Matt Bradley Shergi and with me is Thrasher. Hello, friends. You've heard that podcasts can be deceiving. Well, listen to the end and you might be believing. We are talking about Batman Forever. No, just kidding. It is Mighty (laughs) Morphin Power Rangers. The movie came out in 95 based off the TV show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It stars what I presume are actors from the TV show. I found this movie pretty incomprehensible because I've never seen the TV show before per Thrasher's request. Although for next week when we do Turbo, a Power Rangers movie, uh, Thrasher will will probably send me some YouTube links or something to watch a few choice episodes of the show to get a better idea of what's going on. So this stars Karen Ashley, Johnny Young Bosch, Steve Cardenas, Jason uh, David Frank, Paul Schreer, I didn't know that, uh, Paul Freeman, music by Graham Revel, cinematography Paul Murphy, edited by Wayne Warman, um came out in 95 with a budget of 15 million and made 66.4 million dollars worldwide so that's a healthy profit and that's how we saw a a sequel two years later as the poster says the power is on Uh, and you know i didn't realize this when i chose this as our next series but do you know that there's a connection between the terminator franchise and power rangers uh no all right, so uh, Brian Spicer, the director of this film, uh, he directed several episodes of Terminator: The Sarah Con- Connor Chronicles. I see, yeah, no, I looked. I saw what this was his theatrical uh, debut as far as directing movies go. But after this, he only did a few more films. One of which was the uh, Tim Allen vehicle for Richer or Poorer, and the other was another movie based on a TV show, McHale's Navy, which I recall not being too terrible. As far as those things go. That has David Allen Greer and Tim Curry, though. Tim Curry, yeah, is the villain. Yeah, I thought that one was okay. I kind of <laughs> like that one. Although I don't, I'm not familiar well, with the show at all. Well, the screen becomes electric when either of them are on it, but the rest of the movie's pretty flat. Right. Um, so Power Rangers, uh, I think we've talked about this on and off mic a little bit, because you mentioned watching the original Japanese versions of the the shows. It kind of cut the stock footage from. But when this Power Rangers movie, how long had the uh, TV show been on in the States? The the show had been on in America for about two years. Okay, so the the only thing I was I was in Boy Scouts at the time. I had a friend that was obsessed with it. The only thing I vaguely remember from pop culture are two things. One of which is the White Ranger used to be the Green Ranger, and I think the Green Ranger was bad. Is that right? <laughs> 
Yes, the Green Ranger in the series is originally introduced as a villain, uh, but then he loses his powers, but then he gets his powers back, but then he becomes a hero, and then he becomes the White Ranger. Okay. And the other thing I remember is the actor that plays the White Ranger was named in People Magazine one of the 50 most beautiful people of the year, Jason David Frank. Well, he was he was good looking back in the day. Um the I, I don't know how many tangents I should go on because I've 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 got a, a history with this series, but but the the actor for the White Ranger, and I've had this confirmed by multiple convention heads of security. Uh, it's if you have him at your convention, you are required to have uh, sort of a security person with him, not to protect him from the fans, but to protect the fans from him. Uh, apparently he's got a real hair trigger. Hmm. I've um, heard, I mean, not quite to that level, but I've heard sort of similar negative stories about Adam Baldwin at conventions. Huh. Where he just seems resentful for being there and he'll just outright say, I don't want to be here. But he doesn't, you know, I don't know, go off, like attack fans or anything. He just is sort of a grump. Well, and in the case of like, well, in the case of the, the White Ranger, I don't think that... Like I said, it's not that he's like sort of like can cantankerous or anything like that, but like you you can just set him off really easily because apparently like he's he's great with kids and like he likes sort of like being an inspirational figure, but he's a bit full of himself. And if an adult says just the wrong thing to him, uh, he sort of turns up to eleven real fast. And so you wouldn't recommend going up to him at a convention and going, all right, in episode 37, the White Ranger had a bit of a soul patch going on, and he was clean-shaven in the other episodes. What was your motivation for that? I, I wouldn't recommend doing that to anybody. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, go up, say hi, shake his hand, get your autograph, and uh, go, on with the, go on with the show. And, and that's... That, that, yeah, I mean, well, that's not bad advice for conventions in general. I think people, uh, for whatever reason, because they're face-to-face with someone or get their picture taken with someone... I think it's an invitation to have a conversation with them, but that's not what you're doing or what they're there for. Now, I mean, if some people are more open to that or if it's not as crowded, um, people like Lloyd Kaufman or Tom Savini, I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, been very chatty with fans. Um, but just because you wait in line and pay 20 bucks to buy a book from them in the dealer's room doesn't mean they want to hear your life story or, or be interviewed or whatever. And it, and I will, I will say having now like a, a, attended and worked uh, multiple conventions where actors from the Power Rangers series has has uh, guests. I feel like Power Rangers fandom might be sort of one of the the best, most positive, most welcoming fandoms. Uh, just people's... I've seen a lot of people of multiple generations, their faces light up when they see a Power Rangers actor uh, at a convention. It it really like and and I and I say this as somebody like I've watched a lot of this show. I do not like this show, but I like the impact that it has apparently had on its fans' lives. I mean, yeah, I I felt when the show came out, uh, I was a little bit um, too old for it, maybe, or, or just watching other things. But I can certainly see it, it was a Ninja Turtles level phenomenon, especially when it started. I bet you people took karate classes. Just because they saw the Power Rangers, um, you saw the damn Halloween outfits everywhere. The theme song, uh, I think, was difficult to, to avoid. Um, it was something you would see everywhere. So, when you uh, did you see this movie in the theater, Thrasher? And were you like a super fan of the show at the time? 
Hi, could you hear me there? I'm sorry, what was that? You broke up on my end. Uh, I can I can hear okay, you fine I, now, but you broke up. I didn't catch the end of that. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll repeat myself. Uh, so the Power Rangers was, was kind of a, a phenomenon at the time, and uh, but when all this was going on, were you like caught up on every episode of the show before you saw the movie in the theater? Or so, so what? What it was? Um, so we about the time Power Rangers came out, here's what it was competing with on on children's television: Ninja Turtles, already an established phenomenon. Uh, but also Batman the Animated Series, the X-Men Animated Series, Animaniacs, uh, it, uh, the, the new Superman cartoon uh, on the WB. It was it, it had some stiff competition, but, but it did become a phenomenon. Now, I was definitely too old for the show when it came out. But when I saw, but I, you know, just so, sort of watched the first episode because I would sort of watch anything on Saturday mornings just to check it out. And I immediately noticed, oh, all of the action scenes are filmed in Japan. And this being the early 90s, uh, 93, I, th- I think it was. Um, so I had already gotten into anime and manga at this point, but this was back when those were very hard to come by. Uh, unless you could get to a lot of conventions, you couldn't get bootleg tapes. Uh, anime had very poor distribution in the United States. The VHS tapes were very, very expensive. So I was desperate for any content from Japan. So desperate that I watched a lot of Power Rangers just to see the Japanese footage. So I didn't quite hate watch the show, and I didn't quite ironically watch the show, but I watched a show I didn't enjoy just for the parts that I was obsessed with. So I, I'm assuming then a difference of this movie to to the TV show is everything was shot um, by in the United States, right, or Canada, or wherever they filmed uh, this. Actually, it was in Australia. Oh, Australia. Okay. Yeah, but they... meaning that you're not having Japanese directors or, or costume makers or. or stuntmen presumably doing all the work yeah this is this is the first sort of power rangers thing that had all original footage uh and and in the original power rangers the japanese footage was taken by uh, super sentai zayu ranger which is the series that i've mentioned that i'm in the process of now watching uh on the 2b tv app but yes uh, and Interestingly enough, like th- there are some there are some divergences in this movie. Like it has the cast from the series, but to facilitate all the original footage, they create a new villain who we'll get into later. Um, but also, I suspect there's some legal trouble because they wear b- beefed up versions of the Power Rangers costume. But when we get to the giant robots, all of the giant robots are just different enough from their uh, Super Sentai equivalents that I suspect it was an issue of they could not or chose not to secure the rights for the Japanese giant robots. So they just made something that was similar but legally distinct for the purposes of licensing. So what did you think when you first saw this movie? Did you see it on video in the theater? No, I saw it on uh, HBO after it came out. I mean, I I was not going to see this in in theaters because one I, I there was going to be no japanese footage in it and that's what i was watching the show for at the time now that being said if i had uh if i had truly appreciated paul freeman i probably would have seen it in the theaters i remember when the trailer for this premiered well not premiered, but when i first saw the trailer for this movie i forget what we were seeing but when the title comes up you know this summer 
Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. This one kid in the audience goes, oh, yeah. And then you hear five different adults and teenagers groan. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, the first time I watched this was watching it for the show. Um, if you want to follow along, listeners, uh, online you can get a, a double feature of Power Rangers, the movie, and the one we're talking about next week, Turbo, a Power Rangers movie, for under $10. So that's a pretty good deal. But um, yeah, here, <laughs> I, the opening of this movie... Um, if nothing else, reminds you that this was filmed in the 90s because extreme sports, spelled with an X, as they did at the time, was a huge thing everywhere you went. And this is about the characters, it, apparently with some bad guys, it looks like, doing a charity skydive. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that was a part, and, and that was a, a part of the Power Rangers TV series. The, the, the American footage was so squeaky clean and so aspirational, it was infuriating. Because they were always doing martial arts, they were always doing extreme sports, they were always canvassing neighborhoods and cleaning up public parks. And the thing is, those are good things to do, but the show was just so chipper. Uh, and you, th- there's something infuriating about watching people with limitless energy and resources doing every goddamn thing at once, when in fact in the real world you have to pick your battles. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's how this movie opens, with extreme <laughs> skydiving, which we only find out later is also part of a charity event. Uh, which is also there to renovate a piece of the city's educational infrastructure. So that's hitting four different beats all at once. And that's one thing I got to say about this movie. For as bad as it is, it perfectly encapsulates what is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. This is like a season's worth of what that show was boiled down to its purest essence. Yeah, and as they're doing all this uh, stuff in the air, you are hearing like uh, cover music of some music from the '60s, which really sort of surprised me. Well, it's the it's the uh, Stevie Wonder song "Higher Ground," but it's covered by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep, and um, you know, unlike something like Ninja Turtles, and I assume in the TV show the Power Rangers have different personalities. This movie spends no time introducing uh, the audience to who the characters are or what they're doing, you start right away with them jumping out of a plane and having some physical comedy with Bulk and Skull not wanting to jump out of the plane um, because they they look like, uh, I don't know, like punk rockers or something. Well, they want to jump out of the plane, but they keep forgetting their parachutes, and they've clearly not trained for this, so I'm not entirely sure why they are on this team. Uh, I mean, they're in the movie because they're in the TV series, although they're they're horribly underserved. But yeah, Bulk and Skull were the comic relief of Power Rangers, uh, and they 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 started as like the bullies slash bad kids, but the actors were so sort of winning. And they gave such 110% performances that as the show went on, they kind of became protagonists in their own right. Um, They eventually, they have a weird history on the show, but eventually they become like bumbling police officers and stand for law and order. But their personalities don't change at all. They just stop picking on people. And they're really underserved in this movie. They barely get anything to do, given how much screen time they were getting on the show at that point. 
So this opening with them doing the skydive takes quite a lot of a big chunk out of the movie. I was a bit surprised because you don't it, it, you want something exciting to get the audience's attention, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, and you you mentioned that uh, each uh, you you expect each ranger to have a different personality. Don't worry, they don't. Um, each ranger. What? essentially has the same young go-getter personality. They just each have a shtick. Billy is the nerd. Kimberly is the girl. Like, that's it. They just have, like, a little shtick. And that's as far as the characterization goes. Well, here's something. So the movie came out in 95. Uh, How do you think it grossed with domestic box office, domestic meaning the United States and Canada? Didn't it come in, like, fourth... No, no, it came oh. in forty fifth. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> so it made thirty eight million in the United States, so over half its gross, um, which is pretty good, all things considered. So it did better than such movies as Tommy Boy or a Goofy movie. But it two did, classics, two classics, right? But other movies that were that were in the same kind of uh, realm as far as box office that did better than it were the Brady Bunch movie, uh, Martin Scorsese's Casino. And Under Siege 2, and some of the top movies from 95 were Toy Story and Batman Forever. And and that's what's crazy, is this came out about two weeks after the premiere of Batman Forever. I cannot imagine the arrogance of whoever thought this was going to compete with a Batman movie. (laughs) Well, to be fair, between Batman Forever and Batman Returns, it had been like three years, maybe four years and people, they really underestimated the uh, the audience's hunger for Batman. Uh, McDonald's sure. had the collectibles cups that sold out immediately and were high collector's items. Yeah, but I'm not sure they did underestimate it. Because keep in mind, Batman Forever had Jim Carrey in it, who at the time was the like the biggest thing in Hollywood. He was like at that point the highest paid. I think he was the highest paid actor uh, around that time, which was something he held on to uh, for a few years. Yeah, um, and also Tommy Lee Jones was hot off The Fugitive and so forth. I mean, Val Kilmer maybe not so much, but yeah, so you you had a lot going in, but yeah, opening this before Batman Forever in retrospect could have been a, a smarter move. Um, and yet, you know, after all this nonsense at the beginning with the skydive... Which is there to raise money to refurbish an observatory so that they can watch a comet that's showing up in two days. And they hit this comet, comet beat like three times in the five-minute opening. It is forgotten until the final five minutes of the film. Right. Uh, so you see in another part of Angel Grove, there is a uh, construction zone where a big purple egg is located. Yeah, a big, neat, grasped in a big, creepy metal claw. Uh, and this, uh, and, and this is, this is what's gonna get the ball rolling, but not yet, because this movie still has some bullshit to do before introducing its villain. Right. And, um, and you do get introduced in the beginning to, you have the Power Rangers headquarters, you have the big head that speaks to them. You have the big robot that goes, ay, 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 ay. Um, and yet, for someone that, I mean, I'm not, I am not the audience for this movie. <laughs> and I'm not sure why you had me watch the show without, watch the movie without watching the show. But it, it's pretty damn incomprehensible. There is a text scroll. 
that opens the movie that tells you almost nothing useful. I know, like that's such a big exposition dump, but it doesn't help at all. And actually, I've got that pulled up. Would you like me to read it? Yeah, go for it. And I'm going to try to imitate the actress's voice who reads it. Centuries ago, a legendary interdimensional being known as Zordon came to the city of Angel Grove to establish a command center for his never-ending struggle against evil. With the aid of his trusted assistant, Alpha Five, the noble master sought six extraordinary teenagers and gave them the power to transform into a superhuman fighting force. In times of great need, the young heroes could use their powers to call upon colossal assault vehicles known as Zords. The identity of the Six remained a guarded secret. Today, that tradition continues. And this, so this is the thing. When you're going to start, because like, let's look at the Star Wars opening text crawls. They sort of, they all sort of end with a shakeup. This opening text yeah. crawl ends with an assurance that the status quo it's just laid out is going to continue. <laughs> I mean, I felt as confused watching this movie as people watching David Lynch's Dune movie must have felt who had not read the book. Like, <laughs> you were just thrown into this world with all these characters, which is fine. I like, you know, science fiction and, and fantasy sort of, you know, genre movies, horror, whatever, that have, you know, uh, elements of it that are realistic. Uh, and yet... You have some rules that you set up, and this, to its credit or perhaps not, just sort of tosses you in the middle and expects you to figure out. I mean, the plot of this is very, very simple once it gets started, but it takes forever to get started, perhaps because they want to save money not filming fight scenes. It would have been better to open this with action or even to open it with clips from the TV show or something. I I, I would have found useful as a Power Rangers virgin, so to speak. Oh, yeah, I, I, I... Yeah, I could see how you could be flummoxed going into this. And, and yet, if you were a fan of the show, I could see you being equally flummoxed. Because once we get the secondary villains... So the secondary villains in this movie are the primary villains of the TV show. <clears throat> except they're not. Because the... Uh, so that later that night, you know, the construction site's under guard. And out of nowhere... Uh, four monsters uh, show up. And now these four monsters, three of them are part of the cast of bad guys from the TV series. There's like three other ones that never show up in this movie. I can only assume it's like a rights issue. Uh, but then there's the pig monster. The pig monster that it, it, that is their lackey only exists in this movie. They have never appeared on the show before. They will never appear on the show again. Uh, and you think this being a movie, maybe we're going to see the ultimate showdown between between uh, all these villains. We don't see that. The villains just release Ivan Ooze and uh, pretty much take a back seat to the rest of the movie. These villains are uh, Rita Repulsa, uh, the witch with the dubbed voice, which I got to give them props for maintaining continuity that her voice is dubbed even in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and um you know the voice is kind of like a wicked witch of the west sort of thing, but even even the actress doing the part who is dubbed over Julia Cortez is is very good and very expressive. Like I thought I had no I thought she was more interesting than Ivan News frankly, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, well, she, she, it's a part that requires some high camp, but uh, they've got Morden the Pig, who we've already talked about, who's just an anomaly, uh, Goldar, the big blue uh, griffin monster, uh, and this is, 
this is, I think, as near as I can tell, I think this is the same costume from the show, but with a different head because it's moved. The movements of the head are a bit more fluid. Um, and then Lord Zed, who is an interesting quirk, because Lord Zed is not a character from Super Sentai, from any of the Super Sentai series. He's an original villain that they created for Power Rangers to sort of help them more easily cut around footage from different Sentai series that they were incorporating into the show after they ran out of all the Zayu Ranger footage. And something that's very bizarre is that his, like, we see his brain pulsing. This is, everything in this movie is about 10% better than the show, including his Lord Zed's costume. There's a lot of beefed up assets created for this movie that I am shocked don't get recycled into the series. Yeah, you would think if you would build, you know, an expensive practical suit, you would reuse it week on week, but... As near as I can tell, the only thing made for this movie that showed up on on the Power Rangers show is there's a deleted scene where they were supposed to fight giant rat monsters that Ivan Ooze created, but they were deemed too fakey, so that scene was cut and they were replaced with the blob creatures we'll see later. But then those rat costumes that were deemed too fakey were used on the Return of the Green Ranger story arc of Power Rangers. Does the TV show make reference to this movie after the fact? No. Uh, everything in this movie kind of exists as its own little bubble. And it, and it's a problem. Well, it's, it's a problem, but also a staple of the show where villains, like bigger villains who never get mentioned before, will show up, raise a lot of hell, then leave the series and never get mentioned again. Uh, and Ivan Ooze is just the er example of that. But yeah, they, that's when they release Ivan Ooze from the China Egg. <laughs> And Ivan Ooze, as uh, you said, is played by Paul Freeman. Paul Freeman is best known for playing um, one of the main bad guys in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, he was... Belloc. Uh, yeah, Belloc. Bella, Rene Belloc. <laughs> so, and, and here, initially I thought, well, he's ripping off of Jim Carrey's performance in Batman Forever, but that's not the case because they both came out the same year. But it it's almost like your your grandpa had one too many scotches and then starts like repeating jokes that his five-year-old grandson told him or something. And yet it works. I mean, he, he really camps up the role, which I love. And as near as I can tell, a lot of his lines were improvised at a certain point. They just let him cut loose and he's coming up with material better than what was clearly written for him. Oh, I I mean, yeah, you can imagine a lot of the dialogue must have been, you know, like, it's time to rule the world or whatever. But, and the way Ivan Ooze looks, it, it, it's a good, effective design. There's a lot of detail to there. He, um, he, he likes camping it up. I'm a bit surprised so early in the film he goes to the Power Rangers headquarters uh, and just destroys it and takes the, the dude that's the big head and, you know, messes with him. He just, it, it's a, I thought that would happen later in the film. Yeah, but I mean, it is it is some some decent destruction when he when he uh, destroys the the Power Rangers lair, uh, and that also points out another holdover from the series is it's something always has to be moving on screen. So, like one of the first things he does is he zaps the robot Alpha Five, who for the remainder of that scene you just see rotating in the background, flailing its arms. Uh, even <laughs> when Ivan Ooze is just standing there delivering his evil speech. 
And and you get some action, you know, before this at at the construction site, fighting oozes. Kind of, he can summon these these minions that, when defeated, often explode into a, a thing of purple goo. Yeah, and the Power Rangers show up to confront him. Uh, they jump into a rock quarry to have a fight scene, which is right out of the show. Uh, and then finally, uh, we get to see them, quote unquote, morph. And I'm actually kind of shocked that they didn't try to do a fancier special effect. Instead, they just pull out their morpher gadgets. A coin flies into the foreground and they're transformed in their fancier sort of rubbery armor suits. Right. And so you do get to see him in the suits in the beginning, which is notable because they don't get the suits uh, later on in the film. And it's overall, it's it's a fun fight scene, but like it's too, it's two fight scenes because like they they fight the ooze monsters out in the open uh but then the ooze monsters run away and then we get some business with them tracking the ooze monsters using weird helmet mounted gadgets that we have never seen before and will never see again which then leads into just another fight scene with the rest of the ooze monsters yeah and they don't make the ooze monsters have different personalities either. They just uh I mean clearly these are some skilled martial artists in there. They people get knocked and are knocked across the the entire uh arena in which they're fighting. Um there there's a lot of flips, there's a lot of kicks, a lot of wire foo. Yeah, a lot of wire foo which uh at the time at least in um you know sort of like American media it was pretty novel, although I assume it's on the TV show a lot. And uh and I was still having fun at this point in the movie. I'm like, okay, there, you know, this is all the movie's going to be. But then I think it tries to have more of a plot, and that's where things get dragged down a bit. Well, you, they do what normally doesn't happen until the second movie in your superhero franchise, which is they lose their powers. Because it turns out when Ivan Ooze destroyed the command center, it cut off their power source. So uh, in a very cheap special effect, they all return to their normal unmorphed forms uh, and have to deal with the fact that they've been depowered. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, Ivan Ooze, he wants to have the power to himself, so he puts uh, Rita and Zed in a snow globe. And among other things, he has these warriors called Tengu and Tengu is Japanese for crow. Yeah. They're, they're out of uh, Japanese mythology and these suits uh, also get, uh, now that I think about it, these uh, Tengu do get reused in uh, later seasons, a uh, later season of power Rangers. So we have at least one other asset that resurfaces and these are kind of, cool as far as monsters go. I mean, there is something scary about their weird crow faces, and just there's so much, such a great sense of movement with the feathers that flap off of their arms. So with the uh, with the Power Rangers here, um, they lose their powers, and um, they get sent to a different planet to, what, to get them back? Well, to find a new power source. I, which I, I see. And this is another thing that, that happens a hell of a lot on the show, is just the arbitrary... We have to send you to another planet to get your powers back, get new powers, or get new things. Like that that's a beat that, that Power Rangers hit several times across like the first three seasons. And here it is, the Ur example in the movie. And while this is going on, you have a plot that feels a lot like the the bit in the Tim Burton's Batman movie where the Joker has like the Smilex that he gives to the populace. In this one, Ooze I guess has a factory that makes this purple ooze that when people use it, they get hypnotized it's, to work in the construction crew 
to try and um, dig up these big kind of Godzilla monster titan yeah. things. And it's the are... toxic chemical factory, as the sign out front says. Yeah, but I, I like the product is just a can of purple slime because this was the 90s. Nickelodeon had their famous, what is it, Gact or whatever, the slime yeah. stuff, the green slime stuff in a can. You could get, and uh, uh, I think in the late 80s, the Canadian show, you can't do that on television, had slime dump on people. You had Double Dare, which had slime. Uh, Ninja Turtles had the mutagen, which looked like slime. This kind of stuff was everywhere. To have it purple, to look like ooze, I thought, you know, was, was, was fine. Well, it seems to actually work. Also, I love... I love the label on the product, uh, which he gives away free to everybody, but the label on the product... It says, safe for children of all ages, but then in giant red letters, adults beware. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and it's a perfect encapsulation of like the, the the trend in toy marketing at the time of, this toy is gross, this toy will piss off your parents. I think Ivan Ooze even has a line to that effect, right? Yeah, your parents, parents don't... don't like it, just throw it in their faces. And yeah. and the way he sells this stuff is he's like, I'm a master of disguise. Well, what's his disguise? Well, he's a terrifying space wizard. His disguise is a different terrifying space wizard who arguably looks more scary than the baseline Ivan Ooze. Yeah, he has more white hair, and but it still has a lot of the prosthetics. You're right. Like that, it's not a great disguise. I thought they'd go back to the disguise thing again, but not really. But um, meanwhile, but yeah, the... it, like all the kids get it, but then it contaminates all the all their parents who then get brainwashed and go to Ivan Ooze's factory where they dig up and assemble his ectomorphicons, his giant robot monsters. Well, and with the Power Rangers, when they go to the different planet, is that the same effect as on the show where they just become streaks of light? It's really cheap looking. So this is the irony. Uh, it looks worse than what's on the show because it is the same thing on the show. Like they get all, they get kind of absorbed in a sparkly colored streak and then zip off. But it looks worse in the movie, and I think the reason why it looks worse is they try to make it look more impressive because in the show they pretty much just go up and down like Mega Man, and it's hard to fuck that up. But in this show, they should in the movie like it's the light is flying around and bending and trying to put that much animation into it just highlights all the flaws in the effect. Oh, and it's not very good animation either. But um, for much of this movie, the Power Rangers are not on Earth; they're on this planet of Phados. And it becomes, to my mind, very standard, you know, sort of fantasy film thing. You have to pass the trials. You have to, they they get lectured by, um, oh, it look, looks like kind of like an Amazonian warrior or something, Dulcea. Yeah. Oh, and here's something. So the the uh, actress who plays Dulcea, she was diagnosed with an ovarian cyst right after getting cast. So like she had to leave very early on in the production, and she was replaced with Mariska Hargitay. But the producers, uh, Mariska Hargitay was in a lot of scenes that they ended up deciding were extraneous, and they decided that she wasn't the right type. So when the the original actress got out of her, recovered from her surgery, they were still filming. So they brought, they fired Mariska Hargitay and brought the original actress back. That's fairly unusual. Um, But maybe that explains why she's not in the movie as much as you think she would be. Yeah, there's apparently a lot of stuff was filmed with Mariska Hargitay involving where she lived on the planet, more extended training sequences, and also a weird alien animal sidekick. Oh, weird. Um, 
yeah, and there's a lot with uh, because the Power Rangers don't have the suits. You know, it's just the kids fist fighting in, in these sort of like ninja outfits. But I will say, some of the you get some nice shots of them training, going across this kind of you know um, varied landscape on these wide widescreen shots are, are a bit kind of nice. You know, and this whole like train, there's a couple of weird like storytelling choices because when they met Dul- when Dulcia saves them from the Tengu that that Ibanu sent to kill them using her twirly sticks, um, she gives them like train. She gives them ninjetti training because I guess ninja uh, <laughs> just didn't sound alien enough, and they get ninja suits and ninja powers and ninja totems, which. Is n- it's a new power, but it's not the power they want, so they still have to continue the quest. Um, and there's all sorts... And this this goes back into the c- cut scenes with Mariska Hargitay, because she talks about how she can't leave like the plateau, because then she'll age like Zordon. Apparently, part part of the scenes that were cut was a back elaborate backstory for her and Zordon where they were both warriors they were they were both warriors who imprisoned Ivan Ooze personally not with teenagers like the opening text crawl says and she's also immortal but has to be preserved like Zordon has to be preserved in a time warp it's it's a lot of uh, gobbledygook do these cut scenes exist anywhere or I actually don't know. I presumably they're on some version of the DVD. I know there's a DVD and a Blu-ray release of this movie. I might have to track that down. But so this is something I thought was uneven because first all the trials they have are combat trials, which is I was kind of expecting some sort of like tacked on thing about teamwork or trust or friendship as one of the potential trials, but that doesn't happen. They just get two fight scenes. The second fight scenes with the rock monsters, I found really lackluster and way too quippy. I love the scene where they fight the animated dinosaur skeleton. That's just such a weird scene. And like, it's some sort of like weird practical puppet effect for the dinosaur. They, they fail to top that scene with the dinosaur bones. The dinosaur bones are really charming and you have some of the characters jumping on it i think the head eventually gets knocked off or something but yeah, yeah there's like a wishbone holding the whole thing together that tommy pulls out but it, it brings to mind you know had jurassic park been made in 1990 instead of you know 93 or so when it came out that's what it would have looked like <laughs> maybe i mean i've seen i mean there was still some puppetry in that movie but we we do get some true bottom of the barrel cgi coming up which once again, our benchmark with Jurassic Park, we were figuring out how to make CGI look good. I don't think they even tried in this movie. I'm also wondering if the CGI is a stopgap because, uh, I mean, we'll talk about more about this later, but they did build a giant robot because it's uh, used in two stunt falls. So I'm wondering if it only looked good in the falls, didn't look good anywhere else, so they replaced it with the CGI. It could be, and maybe they wanted the CGI to look uh, to have it look more modern, make it look different. I, I managed to track down, um, it was pretty buried deep on YouTube, but the, I, I watched the Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. Oh, I've seen that review. And uh, they said, you know, compared to this, it makes the Ninja Turtles look like Keats or something. But <laughs> he also said, Siskel was very impressed with the uh, effects at the end of this movie, and I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Maybe he was trying to find fishing for compliments, uh, 
But we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But it just feels like the wrong way to do a Godzilla homage. Yeah. But me- meanwhile, back on Earth, the brainwashed parents have all uh, they've dug up the ectomorphicons and reassembled them. They're filled with ooze and sent off to destroy Angel Grove. And Ivan Ooze tells all the parents to go back to the construction site and leap to their doom. Uh, and oh, yeah, there's an annoying Timmy in this movie named Fred. Who was whose father was one of the people in the skydiving charity observatory event, who is one of the brainwashed parents. He sees all this because he's always sneaking around. So he decides, oh, I better save our parents. So he goes off to to round up uh, the kids. And this feels like something that's cut because the kids, when he finally finds the kids later that night, they're all hanging around at this outdoor eatery, which was supposed to be the dojo slash juice bar that the kids always hung around in, in, in the movies or in this TV show. And in fact, the actor, I think the character's name was Arnie who, who, who ran that character was supposed to be running this outdoor eatery, but all of his scenes got cut, but he was apparently present for every day of shooting of this movie. Um, when the kid shows up, he's like, Oh, he, he gets up on a table and gives a horrible speech and everybody listens to him. He's like, you've all been brainwashed by the ooze. No, they haven't. That hasn't been established. What are you talking about? Yeah, it it, it feels like <laughs> a drop subplot, kind of like the little Timmy character from Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, <laughs> where clearly the character had more to do in an earlier version and, and all that's cut out. But yeah, with this, it's just uh, really too bad it's sort of weak sauce um but i i think uh, you know you look at the ectomorphicon titans those uh the the design of those i think look pretty good well the design's good it's just when when they move uh you you sort of see it's these cg chrome with and and cg can do the chrome look pretty good and i think that was smart to do instead of solid colors because you couldn't really do the lighting that good back then well what's interesting is most of the time they're composited into real backgrounds and i think that hurts the presentation later, like in the climax of the fight scene where they're in an, a completely artificial background. They look, I find that they look much better, but it's just sort of them stomping around doing, uh, doing general destruction. But on Fetus, uh, the power Rangers defeat some rock monsters, make a lot of bad puns, splitting headache being my least favorite. Um, and they open a door and there's a pyramid inside. They get power from the pyramid. They morph, they go back to Earth, uh, and finally, finally, we get to see them in their giant robots. So they summon, they summon their uh, new CGI Zords. And is a Zord something from the show? But they just look better in this because it's CG, or well, it, it, they just sort of arbitrarily in the show, just to give them a cool name. All the giant robots are called Zords. Um, I, I I think it was just an arbitrary name with a Z in it, which is why it was chosen in, uh, you know, in Japan, they would just be Mecha, the generic term for any special big vehicle. Um, and these were the same ones, uh, I think, because this, the, the production of the movie overlapped with the production of, I think, season three of the Power Rangers. Um, these are effectively the Zords they would eventually get in season three after they retired the Thunder Megazords. These would be the Ninja Zords. 
But I don't think those episodes had aired yet when this movie came out. So I think part of the selling point of the movie is you're going to see the next generation of Zords early. But as I as I mentioned, there are, are a lot of similar but legally distinct things on some of these designs. Um, they I think they look much cooler as practical effects than as CGI. Oh, but we do get a Superman save because there's a tr- set of train tracks that are broken and the Falcon Zord gets in the train tracks and allows a monorail to ride over its back. Of course, you have to have something with a train with the you know, city being destroyed by monsters. And so, I mean, finally, that you keep the Power Rangers away from the made bad guys for so long is a weird decision, but it is nice to finally have them face off. Uh, well, that's another there, there thing. Well, that's another thing from the show. They just fight henchmen all the time. They almost never fight, deal with the villains face to face. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you know when they fight the um, ectomorphicons, it it does look better, and, and things do pick up a bit. I like that it's on a bigger scale that they're in their big Zord outfits, and eventually they go into space and they uh, combine into one big robot. Is that from the show too? That reminded me of Voltron. Yeah, they yeah their their Zords always combine into a bigger robot to deliver a finishing move. But, but this is another. Them... Oh, go on. Oh, well, this is just another thing: is that the Ninja Megazord that they turn into, um, it has a completely different or an almost completely different head slash face, and this is another one of those things that makes me think that they couldn't get the rights to the design. Because the head, like, it's like a weird, neat sort of samurai face in the show. But in the movie, it's just like a cylinder with a window in it. So, which admittedly, if they wanted a window so you could see the rangers, which we do see a couple of times, they could have put that window into the existing head. So it's it's another one of those weird anomalies. But one of these things they're fighting has like a CG version of Ivan Ooze's face that just looks awful. Yeah, he merges with his own robot to fight them. Uh, but yeah, it it is like, and, and like, he's been so expressive under all that makeup as Ivan Ooze that when it's just Freeman's voice coming out of a pretty much death mask of the Ivan Ooze face, it loses so much character. This is character. It loses personality. It, the, the ensuing explosion is less lame than I thought it would be. Like, well, well, yeah, because they realize... Okay. That, like, we need something big to destroy him. Wait, the comet that we mentioned in the first scene, if we can get it into its path, that'll do it. And the comet, in just a big middle finger to astrophysics, is a giant <laughs> flaming ball leaving a f- trail of fire. So they're they're wrestling in outer space with, I- with the giant Ivan Ooze. And the Yellow Ranger, there's an emer- there's an in case of emergency break glass. He breaks the glass, presses the button. What does it do? Their giant robot kicks his giant robot in the balls, which works, and sends him flying off into the path of the comet, and there's a big explosion. Yeah, and then they come back and, you know, they make the command center back to normal. I do wonder when this movie came out, when uh, the command center is destroyed and Zordon is not just the face, but you see him as as a man kind of, you know, wounded. Was this like a emotional moment for kids at the time? I, I guess it was meant to be because in the show, Zordon's only just except for like one weird flashback uh, recycling some old Power Rangers or some Sentai footage. Zordon is just the head in a tube of light. And here, it turns out that he's also like an organic being trapped in a time bubble. He looks so 
like it, it's kind of grotesque because he's in this like just this body sack that makes it look like he doesn't have any arms and legs, but the body sack pulses like he's just organs below the head. Um, but but yeah, because of his time warp, he's been dying. Well, when they get back, he's dead. And they go, wait a minute, don't you remember what Dulcia said? With the power of Ninjetti, anything's possible. So they resurrect him. Oh, I hate resurrections. Yeah, and that's the Power Rangers movie. Um, <laughs> I'll just say this off the bat. This is might be the worst thing I've seen for this show to date. This really? is incomprehensible. I have a feeling next week's Turbo Power Rangers movie is going to be worse. It could outdo, um, it could outdo itself it, in it that could. regard, yes. Or maybe it'll be better and more comprehensible. I did take a sneak peek at the beginning, and the text scroll is like five <laughs> times the size at the beginning. Uh, so I, this, I had the most fun with this movie in the beginning. The skydiving stuff was stupid, but that reminded me of the 90s, so that was okay. Uh, when they're fighting Ivan Ooze's men one-on-one, and they're all exploding into purple goop, I, I'm like, you know, I, I can deal with this. This is fine. And then it just, as soon as they go to Fado's, to the other planet, I think all the air is left out of the movie, and you have all this nonsense stuff with Ivan Ooze, and uh, I like the look of Ivan Ooze, I like the look of some of these characters, but I am given no reason to care for the Power Rangers uh, at all, even you know, even if they had different fighting abilities, something to grab onto, but there's such a blank slate, uh, I, I was just bored for, for a lot of the film. I, um, yeah, I, uh, so I will give this a sequel no. I, I'm going to give this, we're going to have a full Siskel and Ebert moment. I'm going to give this a sequel. Yes. Um, Paul Freeman is so good at Ivan as Ivan ooze. I think it is worth watching it just for his performance. Um, it is so captivating whenever he's he's on screen. Regrettably, there is some dead wood you got to get through to get to his scenes. But to me, they are worth it. He is acting so above and beyond the rest of this movie. Uh, I I I cannot I I I have to recommend that just just as a work of camp. I must recommend this film sequel. Yes. All right. Um... You did mention about, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there is, I'm looking to see if the DVDs or something have any special features with those deleted scenes. They don't seem to, although Shout Factory did come out with a Blu-ray of this that has a uh, a documentary with new interviews with the director and some of the actors, including Paul Freeman. Um, oh, cool. So perhaps that's something. But, yeah, um... Gee, where to go from this to pitch a sequel? So, I know nothing about the Power Rangers. I've only seen this movie. <laughs> but despite all that, if I was to do a uh, a sequel or prequel or something to this, I would have it be sort of a, a made-up movie about the executives at Saban are making a Power Rangers movie. <laughs> but while they're doing this, a real alien menace comes to earth and the power rangers are all actors in suits they don't know how to deal with it so they have to call upon the real power rangers who are living in japan to come (laughs) and help the american power rangers and uh help the movie director who's trying to make this movie uh fight the real monsters that are coming interesting what would you call it um 
Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, the subtitle would just be action with an exclamation point. <laughs> or, or lights, lights, camera, lots of action. <laughs> lights, camera, morphin. Yeah. Oh, and there was so much morphin in this movie. Uh, so I think I would do too mighty, too morphin. Uh, and in this one, I'm just going to, I want to just make, make a Power Rangers sequel that works just like this movie, but will acknowledge this movie. So the premise is, it turns out there were dark ninjetti who were also sealed away and were trapped in that pyramid. So when the Power Rangers took the power from the pyramid, it released the dark ninjetti. So the dark ninjetti come to assault Earth because they want all the ninjetti power for themselves, which they will get which will depower the Power Rangers again. So they'll have to go to another planet. This one will be more of an ice world, but not too icy. So filmed in Canada in the fall. Um, So they can, uh, and they'll get a whole new set of powers uh, and a whole new set of Zords to eventually fight the Dark Ninjetti, who will have taken the city of Angel Grove hostage and will combine into a giant monster. Uh, And I love Paul Freeman show up. Um, he is going to he's going to be the leader of the dark ninjetti he'll do a completely different kind of camp performance but he'll be free to do all of his flourishes and improvisations i might even let him improvise every damn thing i think that's an instinct you can trust uh but his villain uh his, he will be the shadow shogun all right and the name of this will be uh too mighty too morphin too mighty too morphin very good <laughs> So coming up next is what you're watching, and Thrasher and I both saw the same thing, and I think we need to tap dance around spoilers because it's so new. <laughs> I'm talking about Avengers Endgame, which I think is the 22nd movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or uh, 20, 22nd or 23rd, yeah. It's been a lot of them. Um, and yeah, Avengers Endgame, how to talk about this without spoiling it. It It's a conclusion to a lot of things they set up in the different movies. Um, it has a, a lot of characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a satisfying ending. I think the thing that struck me is that it works. It works as both a, a, a finale, but also a best of, and also a retrospective. I, I can see that it makes, you know, a lot of reference to stuff. And I, I had seen all the movies fairly recently. And even then I was a bit confused with some of the characters and it, it did make me think, at the time that first Avengers movie came out, you had that shot with the Hulk and Thor and Iron Man all fighting those aliens that were coming in, and that was considered impressive. There's a shot here with all these different armies charging at each other that really gets uh, brings to mind some of the, the crazier sort of splash panels you see in comics. So back, back in the day... Um... I believe this was, an, this was a Nick Fury and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comic, but... Uh, they the middle the dead middle of the comic where the staples are that bind the whole things together they did a splash they did a two page splash page however that was only half of the splash page because right before it and right after it in the comic were extensions of that page so you had to buy three issues of the same comic and lay them in a track to get this full panoramic shot of all these marvel heroes and villains clashing the climax of this movie is that on the big screen. Uh, it it completely captured that, and and as a long term uh, comics fan, I absolutely loved it. As a standalone movie, 
I would love to see the reaction of someone who had not seen any of the other Marvel movies walking into this one because I think <laughs> sort of like my reaction to seeing this uh, Power Rangers movie, it would be pretty incomprehensible. And the way in the last 20 minutes how this movie takes like a victory lap, it it just makes it... Oh, this movie in a lot of ways is an epilogue. Not to say there is an action, that there isn't anything else. And I, I was surprised to see the Marvel producer Kevin Feige said this is not the last movie in Marvel Phase 3. The last movie is Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, and, and that's something that kind of struck me because, you know, not like... I... I I really do not the like the let's dismantle the movie because of one anomalous thing. But this movie does have one anomaly in it that is so glaring. I feel like it has to be intentional and I feel like there's going to be another movie that's going to wrap it up. And I hope I hope it is. Uh, I, ho- I hope it does get reconciled uh, in in, in uh, another movie. Uh, if it doesn't, it's going to be a weird dangling thread. But I don't think it really holds the movie back. It's a great ride. Well, and one thing I think I'm wondering is a movie that's coming out later is uh, X Men Dark Phoenix, which looks in some way to be a remake of X Men uh, The Last Stand, and that's going to be the last sort of X Men movie of the Fox era because now Disney owns Fox. And I've heard they're going to take several years before they put the X-Men back into the MCU and that we'll see Fantastic Four in there first. Oh, man, I, I would love to see the Fantastic Four, especially if it's a period piece. But yeah, the Dark, the Dark Phoenix, both the Dark Phoenix and New Mutants, I don't I feel like they're never going to come out. Like I've seen trail. I've been seeing trailers for both of them for what feels like two years now. I've heard New Mutants is not going to get a theatrical release and it'll just show up on Disney Plus or something. They've done. But Dark Phoenix is coming out in a few weeks, which, again, it's going to be clobbered by uh, Avengers Endgame. Um, And, yeah, so we'll see what what happens. And I think where the Marvel Cinematic Universe goes from here, in in some ways, will be sort of a a fresher start. in some ways they're kind of cutting some of the fat and uh that to be said you know if you offer an actor enough money maybe they'll come back who knows well like i i feel like I'm, i i feel like some of these some of these i mean some of these characters we know we're going to see again cuz their their move their next movies have already been announced um there were a few, few characters that i suspect are going to show up in cameos in later movies you know for for the right price and you've you've seen that uh, Disney changed their mind on James Gunn, and they are going to use him to direct his screenplay for Guardians of the Galaxy three. Yeah, I'm look I'm looking forward to that, Espe- especially with the potential setup that that movie's been given here. To make things sort of confusing, James Gunn is also going to be doing Suicide Squad two, which may be less of a sequel and more of a whole different movie. I, I've heard that, which would make sense with the direction they're going, and uh, yeah, so. We'll have to see what's going on. Also, with, with random movies coming out, I was reading that uh, they're filming the new Dune movie, but I was under the impression they'd be filming it as two movies back-to-back, and they're not. They're just filming the first part. And Yeah, yeah that wasn't, it was announced as another one of those two movies back-to-back things, so that's changed? Yeah, well, they're, they're still planning on dividing up that first book into two movies, but for, for budget reasons, I guess, they're only filming one of them right now. And if huh. it does well, then they'll do the second one. And oh, Dune boy. being Dune, I have a feeling we're not going to get a second one. Uh, but who knows? 
You know, you know what's strange is that uh, I I uh, rewatched David Lynch's Dune uh, last weekend. Did uh, did you show it to Sarah? Had she seen it before? Yeah, actually, she, uh, she was looking for something to watch, and Dune showed up on a, st- uh, a streaming service, uh, and somehow that led to like we started talking about it, and she's like, "You know, I don't think I've ever seen this." I was like, oh, you should watch it. And so, uh, did, so we watched it. So what did she think? It's a pretty dense movie with all these references to the book and even references to future books and so well, forth. Like, well, like she, she the, 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 the sense I got is like she's glad she's seen it, but she probably won't ever want to see it again. <laughs> yeah, the detail from the Lynch one that always pops up to me is that uh, you have Patrick Stewart carrying around a pug for a lot of the movie. Yeah. And shots of the pugs going through the, the wreckage of the uh, Atreides. Yeah, and maybe this is, I think what we saw was the theatrical cut, but there are so many, there's so many different cuts of this movie. There's so many weird scenes, like just like, like, like the Beast Raban with like a a scarab juice box. Like, that's just such like that. That's that's that movie's blue milk or um, or the Mentat grafted to the cat. Who's grafted to a rat? <laughs> right. Um, I want to cosplay that with my cat. That'd be that'd be good. All right. So, um, anything else you've been watching other than Avengers? Uh, well, of, of course, uh, Dune. Uh, actually, I did uh, recently rewatch. It started as research, but became just a regular viewing. Is I watched 1949's The Inspector General, starring Danny Kaye. Was that a musical? Well, like a, like just about everything Danny Kaye ever did, yes. And I think th- I think this movie's legacy and Danny Kaye's legacy with modern audiences is there's a song in the movie called I think like "Wish for a Happy Day" that it appears, I believe, in all of the new Fallout games from three to four. And uh, how was the movie? Was it all right? Or Oh yeah, it's it's really fun. I mean, you can tell it's adapted from a play with songs inserted, but it's still really fun. I mean, Danny Kaye is very very willing. I've noticed though the print, every print I've seen of this movie is horribly preserved. And I've always I've always wondered why. And, and I can only assume it's because it was an early color film, I think not uh not using Technicolor. But but and some of the musical numbers just do not end. Uh, like the final musical number, I think is over ten minutes long. Although admittedly, the premise for the musical number is that it's supposed to be diegetic, and it's Danny Kay. It's the, the Danny Kay's character making up a progressively longer folk song so that he doesn't have to drink wine that he knows is poisoned. I see. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, sometimes the the quality of the prints depend on. Um, the film it was on and how it can retain the colors and stuff. Also, if a movie is really popular, it ran at a bunch of different theaters that damages the prints over time. Mm. So that can also affect the, uh, the, the quality of everything. Um, I watched a movie that was a remake, uh, and it was death wish. It was the remake with, uh, Bruce Willis. Huh? And directed by Eli Roth, which was sort of the main re- interested uh, reason I was interested in it. And it's okay. I thought it would be terrible, and it's not terrible, but it's just all right. And it, it seems to not know what it wants to do, because it plays itself fairly straight in the beginning with uh, Bruce Willis as Kersey, who in this film is a surgeon. In the original one, he was an architect. 
Um, but they use him being a surgeon that he can heal his own wounds after getting into these gunfights <laughs> with random, you know, vigil- doing his vigilante uh, flavor of justice. Right. And, and as he, he goes around and, and so forth, um, it, it has him, you know, crying and, and acting fairly realistically over his uh, his wife being murdered and his daughter is beaten so bad she's in a coma for most of the film. And yet, in other times when he's getting his revenge, uh, he he uses these, like, ridiculous puns as he's killing them, which kind of uh, undercuts whatever tone they were going for in the beginning. And this was uh, directed by Eli Roth? Yeah, or- yeah, yeah, it was, um, which is a weird choice. Uh, they do make it more... The kills are, are pretty gory, and they are, are more... You know, kind of like over the top, kind of '90s movies kills. They're not like realistic or matter of fact is what you would get in the original Death Wish uh, movie. Um, and, and there's a really bad pun where he's facing off against a guy in a garage, and he has the guy tied up underneath a uh, a car that's supported by a jack. And the guy's like, "Don't kill me, man!" And Bruce Willis is like, "I'm not going to kill you." Jack is. And he pulls something that makes the jack go out from under the car, and the car squishes the guy. Oh Lord! But you're trying to have this in the middle of scenes where, like, he's crying over his dead wife, and he's confiding in his brother and his friends, and trying to, you know, sneak around and not get caught by the police as he's just murdering people. You know, it's it's funny. I was uh, yesterday. I was listening to the podcast "Read It and Weep" uh, at read-weep.com, and they did a review of Lucky Number Slevin, and that was something that they talked about. Is that like is that Bruce Willis's clip quips, which don't really fit in the movie, like. It's like numerous times where like he'll kill someone and make a quip, but who is he doing that for? There's nobody there to appreciate that. Right. Um, speaking of appreciation, we should do the sequel scene. Oh, 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 yes. So yes. who do you want to be? You want to be Ivan News, I take it? I, I, I mean, I would love to okay, be. Okay, go for but, it. So, I mean, if you want to do it, no, I'm not going to say no. Nope, that's fine. I'll be Tengu Warrior. So set up the scene. All right, so the scene we're going to do, this is after Dulcia uh, disperses the Tengu warriors with her magic spinning sticks. So they go back to Ivan Ooze to report on a a successful mission. Only that might only... It turns out to be a little less successful. And for whatever reason, all of the Tengu in this scene in the movie are doing bad impersonations. (laughs) One One of them sounds like Bush One for some reason. On that note, let's uh, let's go. All right. So they've all been destroyed. Well, we were about to destroy them. What? You didn't kill them? You call yourselves Tengu warriors? You're more like Tengu turkeys. I should have you stuffed and roasted. But master, there is this monster with huge sticks that kept twirling them around. Sticks? Did these sticks have a a whistling sound? Well, it was more like nails on a chalkboard. Dulcia, that miserable, manipulating, loathsome she-devil of a witch. If she leads them to the great power, everything will be ruined. You want us to take another whack at it? How about you take another quack at it? Ivan Ooze zaps the Tengu warriors with purple lightning. They explode into a explosion of black and purple feathers. No time to waste. My ectomorphicon machines must be unearthed by sundown. Yep, and that's Ivan Ooze. And that was apparently another cut scene uh, uh, in the 
original script, he was supposed to combine their feathers into a giant Tengu queen, which was going to fight the rangers instead of the stone warriors. But that was that was changed. That would have been more compelling. There, there is a lot of weird trivia about this movie. My favorite bit of trivia being uh, being that 90% of the lights in the Megazord cockpits were tungsten-based. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> All the things to put on IMDb trivia or wherever you got this information, that's just stupid. <laughs> Who's minding the Quickie Mart and who the hell cares? Yeah, um... All right, so next week we'll be talking about Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. The one with the sophisticated title. That's right. And uh, after that we'll be talking about, uh, the following week we'll be talking about the movie just called, I think, Power Rangers. which is an attempt to sort of reboot the cinematic Saban universe. Yes, and uh, I will be sending Matt two things to watch in preparation for Turbo Power Rangers movie so that he will have seen some more of the series and will have some more context going into it. Very good. I appreciate that. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And uh, follow the show at SequelCast 2. Uh, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a nice review. And on our Facebook, th- if you look for SequelCast 2, you can uh, like the show. And our theme song is written and com- performed by Mark with a C. Check out his website, markwithac.com. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think that's all the credits we need. Okay. So for SequelCast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... I thought you said he was the real master of disaster! 